All right, everybody, we are back for day two, MJ BizCon 2023. Have Jason Vygotsky, got that right. You got that right. Good work, the Carson. The founder and CEO of PedalFast. Correct, yes. Welcome. It's the first meeting of the day. Well, maybe your second meeting of the day. It's my first meeting yeah, of the day. Th thank you for scheduling me day two morning yes. uh, of MJ Biz. I feel wonderful, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you look wonderful. I you appreciate You really that. do look wonderful. So... Jason, for people who don't know Pedal Fast, before we get into your background yeah. and your story, can you just give us the overview on your business and what you're building? Yeah, I mean, Pedal Fast is a distributor. So um, we just happen to outsource our logistics and warehousing in certain states. But when you think about what a distributor does as far as get you into stores, get you placed in the right stores, handle customer relations, uh, make sure that you have the best opportunity to present your brand into a retailer. Um, we handle that with our selling organization. Um, and then we handle merchandising and field marketing with our field team. Um, so we, we represent a portfolio of brands in California, Arizona, Massachusetts, um, and exciting to, excited to expand into more states um, that are, as legalization happens and as, as vertical integration breaks down, you know, the distribution tier in every state seems to start to form. Um, and that's the tier that we want to own. So um, we have partners that we lean on in the, in the logistics and warehousing side. And we have decided to focus all of our energy, all of our capital um, on what we think is the highest value creation, which is selling brands into stores and building the best relationships at retail. And for people uh, listening that may not be familiar in it's a very similar model that most states have taken with the three-tier system yeah. in alcohol. Could you just explain to people the, you know, the alcohol three-tier system and how it's different from cannabis and that it's not vertically integrated? Because, you know, for when I think about your business, I think about where alcohol is and inevitably where cannabis is likely going. Um, and you're just very much ahead of the curve. So could you explain the three-tier system in alcohol to people that may not be familiar sure. with it? I mean, it, it helps to start kind of with what vertical integration is when somebody is handling everything from growing to branding to distribution to then retail. Uh, personally, I think it is, it is the single biggest problem in the cannabis space 100%. and why most people fail. Hey, I want to do everything. Cool. That's nice. That's a nice pipe dream. Um, I don't know if uh, I or anybody else has enough money to be able to do each one of those verticals well. So what we see is all of those verticals start to break down as people tend to scale and, yep. and struggle with that scale. Um, so in alcohol, um, so we don't have a monopolistic type environment in a vertical tier like we see in some of the limited licensed states, um, by regulation, you cannot be a retailer and a distributor. You can't be a distributor and a brand. And each one of those tiers um, are separated into business, different business units. And if you want to play in one tier, you can't play in the other tier. Um, so the distribution tier um, is also in place in the three-tier uh, three tier system in alcohol to collect the taxes. Right. Um, oh, that's a, a, very, a, a very smart person in, in alcohol beverage distribution said, I'm not in alcohol beverage distribution, I'm in the tax collection business. <laughs> um, and that, that middle tier um, also allows brands to get access to the entire um, country and, and all these retail stores um, you know, with, with one relationship and one go-to-market strategy. I can't tell you how many brands we meet and they go, okay, I have a little problem here. I'm in six states, but in six states I have six different ways of operating. PedalFast looks to solve that by having the same type of organization in every state so that you can build one strategy and go to market. So let's, I, want, I have a 
a lot of ways I want to take this, but I do yeah. want to get a chance to be able to talk about you and how sure. you decided to build this. So you went to Bucknell. I which did. I almost, I almost went to Bucknell. So we we would have loved to have you as a bison. Yeah, I, I was going to be on the uh, rowing team as a coxswain. So nice. I went there and I did, uh, like, it was one of my... You, you went know, on a visit? Yeah, I went on an official visit. You oh, know how boy. for like D1 sports you want official visits? I played basketball at Bucknell. Okay, so you you did the you did the official visit. Yes. I and I stayed in those um it was like a trailer. Like behind. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh I think that was like the sophomores yeah. used to stay over there. So anyway, I did the had, official visit. Had some fun times over and so there. I had you know, I've gone on to, to Pennsylvania. So you went to Bucknell. Um what did you do right after you got out of college. Uh, well, I, you know, I thought it was cool, so I was like, "Ooh, let me do the Goldman Sachs thing for yeah. like six months." And, and as soon as I got there, I was like, <laughs> "Hell no!" Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, I'm not going to be your slave. <laughs> Hell um, no. And you know, you know, any uh, anybody coming out of college, they they feel like, "Ooh, finance! It's so cool, and yeah. that's the way to go." And I yeah. quickly realized that wasn't for me. Um, and I pivoted and got into um, alcohol beverage distribution in New Jersey. Uh, my dad was um, a salesperson at a company called Fedway for about 45 years. He oh, just wow. retired. So I knew that. So you knew the industry I knew that the very space, well. Yeah. And I, I also enjoyed kind of brand building and go-to-market strategy. So um, got into that to kind of cut my teeth as, as a, a, you know, geez, I was 23. And quickly realized that working for somebody, while I don't uh, – I'm not opposed to it. it. It just didn't motivate me the way that I needed to be motivated to kind of live up to my fullest potential, um, you know, as a basketball player my whole life and, and going through and, and playing D1 college basketball. It was like there was a void when I left that. I'm right. sure you have a similar yep. experience yep. of like, okay, from a, I get up and I work every day, but am I motivated the way that I was motivated? And um, it was funny. I, I was in a Wegmans food store. Love on, Wegmans. On, uh, love Wegmans. And that was one of my accounts that I was handling on the alcohol okay. side. And a guy came up to me, and he started pitching me his beef jerky company. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm doing an order here for alcohol. What, what are you even talking about? Beef jerky beef right jerky. now in a liquor store. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, I, I know a number of beer stores, alcohol beverage stores, and like, Maybe I can help you. He seemed like a nice guy. And then I went to lunch with him that same day. To sell beef jerky and alcohol stores? Yeah, like okay. in like beer shops. Okay. And I went to lunch with him that day. And, and he goes, yeah, I went to Duke. I went to UCLA Law. And I'm a big-time practicing lawyer. And I left it all to start a brand called Lawless Jerky. And I said, count me in. Like, if you're yeah. crazy enough to do that, uh, I want to do something. And, and I partnered with him. And we built a... Uh, national brand that we ended wow. up. Yeah, again, and you met him like literally, I literally met, him at, a, at I met him at a Wegmans, and <laughs> got in got in the next day, and and jeez, uh, I failed so incredibly miserably. Mm. Uh, we ended up growing it into a national brand and, and exiting it, but um, in that sounds like very sexy. In between, like at, any part of uh, a company that you could mess up, like uh, count me in, I did it, and. Uh, I look back and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because, number one, for what we're doing now, I understand the brand side. I understand right. the challenges. Yep. I built the brand. You built the brand. Went you way to too wide instead of deep. Um, I also got to understand natural food. And I knew alcohol beverage go to market. I didn't really know the natural food go to market. Mm. And the way that food brands get on the shelves in Whole Foods is totally different than the way that an alcohol brand gets on the shelves in Wegmans. Mm. Um, and when you think about Pedal Fast and what Pedal Fast is, We've taken bits and pieces, and we'll get into it, of the natural food go-to-market strategy 
as well as the alcohol beverage marketing or go-to-market strategy. Um, so after that, I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do next? Certainly didn't make enough money to not be, you know, Working. immediately going to do something. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy who's actually here. Um, his name's Stephen Christofferson. He was the CFO of, of that jerky company. Lives in Santa Monica. He's like, what are you going to do next? And I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, Where were you based at this time? I was still in Philly. Okay, I'm got from it. I'm in Philadelphia. Um, go Birds. And uh, <laughs> the... Uh, he's, he's in Santa Monica. They just built, beat the Buffalo Bills, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, I'm uh, from Buffalo. Ooh, so you know Wegmans very well. I know, I love Buffalo. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Buffalo. Uh, they had them that. everywhere. It was a good game. Um, Overtime. Exactly, yes. Crazy. Um, so he goes, dude, you should talk to my neighbor. He's a CPA, and one of his clients has a contract for butane gas in bankruptcy. And I'm like, what? what are you talking? I don't even know what butane is. Like the, <laughs> the lighter? I uh, had no idea. And I'm like, you know, you want me to sell gas and, uh, and no clue. He's like, dude, it's used in the cannabis industry. And I'm like, okay. So I was an athlete growing up, didn't really smoke anything. Right. Uh, you know, playing, all my boys did, but I, I really didn't partake. So I had to get myself around to the fact, so you want me to go sell gas into the cannabis industry. <laughs> like, this is going to be a disaster. So... Anyway, I took my biggest stoner friend from, Go from, from beef Philly jerky to, to gas. gas. Yeah. Took my biggest stoner friend from home, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to Colorado for a week to figure this thing out. Can you come with me? Because I don't know any of the lingo. I don't know anything about anything. And Some weed lingo. Yeah. I went to see if there was a business out there, and I quickly realized that oil, especially back then, it was, it was all produced, you know, right. hydrocarbons and uh, butane, propane, ethanol um, was the main source of creating oil. So... Um, ended up going through with it, partnered with a guy, and, and we got this contract for butane gas and started a company called Summit Innovations. Summit Innovations was the first distributor of hydrocarbons in the cannabis, cannabis industry. I never knew that about you, actually. Yeah. Um, it was... Because I don't think I met you until you were at Cush. Yes, yeah, so fast forward, um, crazy, crazy so story. Were you so were you living, like commuting from Philadelphia to Still Denver? Still in Philly, just had like my second kid. Oh. And like, Commute. oh, hey, I'm going to start a gas, gas company. company. Like, whoa, <laughs> um, this is a good life choice. Um, so I'm out there and um, it we bought gas out of Houston. Okay. Moved it to different hubs, and uh, we were doing it in Maine and Massachusetts. We were doing it in Colorado and California. And I saw, I'm like a, a, a weather nerd, right? So I see this hurricane that is going to hit Houston. Okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, if it hits Houston, this whole business that I've been building for the next six months, if I can't get gas out of there, I'm going to have a problem. And uh, I said, I don't think any of the large competitors that, they don't look at the cannabis space at all. They're probably not going to get the gas out of Houston because they don't care enough. So I called all my friends, my family, every dollar that I had, every dollar that I could get my hands on, and I bought as much gas as I possibly could buy out of Houston. Next thing you know, Houston's underwater. Hurricane hits. Hurricane hits Houston. Uh, there is no butane coming out of Houston for about three months. I had all of it. Heck yeah. And we took 100% market share out of that, and I sold the company three months later to Cushco Holdings. Wow. So That's um, how you met Nick and all those folks. That's how I met Nick. Actually, Mitch Barukowitz at yep. Merida. Yep. Um, we were about to close on a $2 million round, and he's like, dude, rather than me giving you $2 bucks, why don't you 
merge into Cushco. Yep. They need some leadership help, um, high margin gas business, ancillary, and we're like vape cartridges plus the input to make the oil. Right. One plus one would equal three. Right. And uh, moved to Orange County and uh, then became the president of Cushco Holdings and, um, you know, worked with Nick and a person that had no business running a public company was now running a public company and I had to figure it out and understand how to do all these things and made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, culturally and, and just business wise. Um, but running Cushco and, and building that from a public company, raising $150 million really set the stage for, okay, I, now that my earnout's done, I want to get back on the brand go to market yep. side and and like the building of a company you're a builder, I'm sorry right? I like to go yeah. from zero to ten I'm not ten to a hundred somebody else can do that yes. like as soon as you have to start like managing people my yeah. I always laugh the people that uh work for me they're like you're really hands off I'm like well you can't micromanage if you don't manage yeah um, yeah so, yeah you can't micromanage if you don't manage I yeah. like that saying I don't uh, think but I use that one but I know how to right. hire good people to do that for me because right. I don't have the patience for it right um so in any event, at Cushco, worked with all the brands, all the big ones, all the small ones, and realized that there was a problem in go-to-market strategy from a distributor perspective. And I wanted to build what I grew up around, that alcohol beverage distributor. Yep. I also was talking to all the alcohol guys and realized that I thought they would be the ones to come into this lane and, and take over distribution. Um, and decided to build pedal fast. The you know I kind of had PTSD from Cushco. One of the biggest problems was inventory <laughs> accounts receivable. Oh my God, AR and cannabis just in general though. Yeah. So the business model of pedal fast was how can I build the value of what a distributor does, right? Retail relationships, brand portfolio, um, selling organization, but not take inventory and accounts receivable risks. So um, I went back to the beef jerky days. And there's a different business model in natural food. So there's companies called Acosta Advantage Sales and Marketing that are national brokerage houses, sales agencies that yep. overlay a uh, distributor or a logistics and warehousing um, organization. So um, we decided to, uh, I wanted to build it at Cushco and I was pitching the board on, hey, let's pivot the company into this CPG distributor. Couldn't get the board around to it. It's worked out. Then said, you could start your own. Said I'm going to I'm going to do it do myself. Yep. yep. And it was funny. The guy who. What year did you What year did your earnout end and you left to start Pedal Fast? 2019. Okay. So this is your like fourth birthday this year. I'm four years out of Cushco. Yeah. And three and a half years into In Pedal Fast, Pedal and uh, you know here we are now. We're the um, only national distributor in the country. Um, and uh, knock on wood, I think we'll be uh, the largest pretty soon. For sure. So. Talk to us about 2019, uh, you, you go out to start the company, did you um, bootstrap, did you raise around? Yeah. I know a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are working for tech companies or um, I wouldn't even say just tech companies, but companies in general that require some level of venture capital. Um, so people always like to hear people's financing stories. Yeah. Um, geez, I feel like you've done a great job raising, on the financing Raising fund. money yeah. is uh, no easy task. And if you don't believe, nobody's going to give you money. So yeah. you better believe more than anybody. And I think storytelling is, is super important. Um, I mentioned Mitch Barukowitz at Merida Capital. Yeah. Um, you know, similar to me, somewhat polarizing, uh, depending on who you talk to. But 
uh, Merida and Mitch have backed me in all of the companies from oh, Summit wow. Innovations to Kuchko to, that, to yeah, Pedal Fast. Three times. So they seeded Pedal Fast with $2 million. Um, I then raised around it. Um, to date, we raised about, uh, with our new raise, about $20 million, awesome. $22 million. Um, and you just, yeah, and you just uh, announced a, a new raise. Yes, uh, we just uh, closed a, a $10 million round. Um, Congratulations. Coming from all strategic and alcohol, yeah, so thank you. And, uh, but I wouldn't And that's be, a hard, you know, I think that um, that's a hard, that's hard anytime, but especially in this environment of cannabis. Yeah. Right, I mean, when I think about it, it's like the last, well, I guess, Last year was different, but 2020, 2021, every single time you open Twitter, it's this company just raised yeah. this many tens of millions of dollars. This year, it's like nothing. Yesterday, there was a slide at MJ BizCon, and it was like uh, raises are down like 98% yeah. or something. So to pull that off this year is just a huge testament to you and the business that you're building the team. So congratulations. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think One of the only um, people in cannabis with money. It, right feels, it feels weird to be here. I don't even <laughs> want to announce it because I'm like, now everybody's asking me for money. Um, but at... Are you, speaking of which, so I want to talk about hiring and how you've gone about building the team because I know you're going to be doing more hiring. Yeah. So in the early days, what kind of folks did you hire and how have you gone about so, building your team? Because you have a rocks, rock star team. Yeah, we, we had a very clear thesis of not only what we were building, but who we were going to sell it to. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're building a company to sell to alcohol beverage. Yep. We believe that alcohol beverage distribute, distributors, they can do the logistics. They can do the operations. You go into one of their warehouses and you're just blown away by the sophistication yep. of that. Um, but this is a different retailer. It's a different, uh, the brands are different and the culture is different of, of the industries. And I don't believe that alcohol beverage can come in and replicate that. So we wanted to hand them the ability to uh, own that. And right. we have been building every single thing that we do in conjunction with what an alcohol beverage uh, company would do. Why? Because a lot of these alcohol companies and, and big strategics, when they look at cannabis, it's very hard to understand. It's like, you're a retailer and a grower and a brand <laughs> and, and a brand. distributor. Why? And I don't, a bank. I, and a bank. Like, I, don't, I don't get this. And, and when people don't get it and understand, they're not going to write you a check. Right. And uh, from the systems that we use to the people that we hire, we wanted to make it very comfortable for the group of investors that we we're going to go out to. So when you look at our team, we specifically look for people uh, in a leadership role that is uh, five to 15 years of alcohol beverage experience okay. plus three to five years of cannabis experience. I do not hire anybody without cannabis experience. Go learn on somebody else's dime and come to me after you've learned, yeah, like and I'm that. all about it. You know, it's interesting because for such a long period of time, it was like people were like, we want to hire people without cannabis experience, and now there's enough people with legit, real, yeah. or sorry, cannabis experience. There's enough people out there that have worked at legitimate cannabis businesses for a number of years, and now I feel like if you're in the industry and you don't hire someone with industry experience, it's like a you're going to spend three years ramping them up. Not only do I want you to have industry experience, I specifically look for people that are coming off of failure. Yeah, I like, like that. Like if you just came out of a company that didn't make it, um, you know, treated you poorly, what, whatever it may be, take those experiences, come here and tell me what not to do. And I think if we just continue to, to uh, not to do the mistakes yeah, of others, we yeah. will be successful. Um, so when you look at our leadership team, you will see um, a lot of companies on there that you know have had challenges, but we get to learn from those challenges by um, hiring these folks. Um, but specifically, 
alcohol beverage understanding because the tech that we use, um, the lingo that we use, the way that we manage salespeople, the reporting structure, it is an exact replica of what an alcohol beverage distributor would feel like. So with this new round, we're going into 2024, what's, like, what's on the horizon for you guys? What are you looking to accomplish in the next year? Yeah, um, a couple things. Uh, number one, it's okay to do nothing. Um, you know, having, having money in the bank, we have one board member who's like, dude, it's okay. Like, we want to hit grand slams um, with the investment dollars that we spend. And to have money in the bank um, and to not make mistakes is as good as going fast, yep. right? Uh, we're not raising again. Like, uh, this is it. I'm not raising again. And that's the way that we're treating it internally. Um, and despite a balance sheet looking very healthy right now, uh, we're going to manage the company from a P&L basis and make sure that we're profitable. Um, in If you want value and you want to raise it up rounds like we have, you need to have profits. Like yeah. nobody even wants to take the meeting if you're burning money. Um, so and I think that's such a huge shift over the last couple huge. of years where it was growth at all costs was very rewarded. And then, you know, the, the music, yeah. you know, the, the, party, the, party, the party changed and people that have been able to get profitable are now in the strongest position, but we've seen so many companies that unfortunately weren't able to do it and they've just gone out of business. Yeah, so I don't want to be in that position. You, 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 you won't um, you're, as, as, as fast as the money comes in, like can go out. I can spend it just yeah. as fast. Um, and we're not gonna do that. So um, we are looking at thoughtful M&A, uh, specifically looking at organizations that are self-distributing that understand that that is not a long-term business model. You right. cannot do that forever. Go talk to the biggest self-distributors. They might not say it to your face on camera, but behind the scenes, they're gonna tell you, at some point we're getting out of this, why? Because that's one of the lower margin parts of the vertical, and they, go, they don't have enough money to do all of them. So from a cash flow perspective, they get very um, weary of continuing to invest in that piece. So we're looking at M&A of, of self-distributing organizations in other states that understand that distribution tier is coming and we can take their vertical and spin it out into a, a distributor and keep their brands as an anchor. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be hitting the M&A side of things, um, continuing to add the best talent in the space. Um, and then in California, by working with Vangst, by working with Vangst uh, and our other friends, um, and no. <laughs> uh, but we're also going to be um, the first to have a second sales force in California. And a lot of people go, well, how are you going to have two sales forces? Well, um, that's how it is in alcohol. That's how we're going to do it here because a lot of people, if, if they have a uh, gripe with pedal fast. It is you have too many brands, and and the way to counterbalance that is so that multiple sales, forces. multiple selling organizations selling into um, retail, so that you can have, you know, uh, Kettle One and Grey Goose in the same portfolio, obviously in in kind of cannabis world, and represented by different organizations, still rolling right. up to kind of the mothership, so you get the scale of the shared services of the business, but, but still have different representation. Exactly. For for the sales reps that you hire to um, promote the brands, are you looking for sales reps that have a lot of retail connections, or what do you look for in those actual reps? The best reps? retail relationships. The way that we hire is we go to retail, we ask them who the best sales reps are, and we go pay whatever we got to do to get them. Right. Um, there is there is no way to get around the fact that this is a relationship business. Yep. And um, you know you need to have the best 
um, and most loyal salespeople, um, and, and we're always looking for, for and that. The, and the, you know, the beauty for a brand is that now you don't, the brand doesn't have to go and find the best sales person with the best relationships because they can work with you who's doing that yeah. all day, every day. We want to take over the tactical side of things. We want to take over the day-to-day -day ordering, the presentations, the understanding of where to go. Like not every retailer is a fit for every brand. Right. Um, and then we ask the supplier or the brand to overlay us and kind of guide the ship a little bit. Right. Like, okay, we're looking at the data and we're down you know, 5% in San Diego, what's going on, Connor, who is yeah. our sales rep down there? How about I come down with you and spend, you know, two days and yep. let's do some ride-alongs to get that back up. So when we ask, we ask the brands to do what a Diageo would do or a Pernod Ricard mm -hmm. would do in the alcohol space, overlay to the distributor and help guide the ship. When you think about, like, B2B marketplace, like a LeafLink, like, how do you, do you, you don't replace LeafLink, like you integrate with the LeafLink? Yeah, we, in, in California, we use Anabas, um, and, and they've been great to us and, and have been very good partners. Um, across the country, where Anabas isn't, we use LeafLink. Yep. So, um, yes, other, rather than having like your one brand, our sales team goes in and has a list of our entire portfolio and, and is able to um, utilize a portfolio selling um, organization within LeafLink or Anabas. Got it, got it. Well, um, my, my final question for you, which I've been asking everybody, is for the space in general, what are your predictions for 2024? A lot of more people are going out of business. Uh, it's unfortunate to say, uh, but honestly, the industry needs it. There is not enough revenue right now for the amount of brands and players within the space. Particularly um, in California. Especially in California. California. I mean, it's happening in Massachusetts. It's happening in Michigan. Um, Frankly, it's just this is just economics. Like, it, it is uh, under like three thousand brands in California. Or it's something? it's absurd, right? It's just um, there's just too many. Um, the the real players are getting through. The ones that have made the mistakes sometimes they're costly and they're not getting through. Um, but they're I don't think it's getting better. Uh, I think we got another six months. I would say the back half of 2024. I expect it to get better, but I think we have another. You know, it's going to be a little rocky here for a bit. And, you know, hopefully regulators can understand that 99% of the problem is the way they laid this thing out. And, you know, can we make pivots? Uh, I think cannabis is like making all the pivots that they can that are within their control. But, you know, I always say like retailers aren't just going to magically start paying their bills. Like it's not going to magically change. Uh, there needs to be a credit law, just like in most every other industry, that forces some of these things to, to happen. To happen. Um, and, but it is starting to self-regulate. You're starting to see the bad players kind of nobody's selling to them. Their shelves are more empty. But yeah, We actually got on this tool, um, like Cannabis Collects kind of came out with like uh, a... Brett's the best. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. He came out. Do you see the new tool where you can kind of like, yeah, you can subscribe to it and then you can see, you know, basically like AR... I, I have, I have, uh, I love it. Now I can know like, Hey, don't work with this company because they owe yeah, 500 I mean, companies money. The credit rating piece. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The credit rating yeah, piece. Yeah. He does it. Nabis does it. We do it internally. I think we're at the point where we know who the bad players are. Right. So if you're going to chase revenue for revenue sake and, and go into these guys, don't come yelling at us right. that you're not getting collections. Like right. we know what the deal is with some of these guys and some of them, it's not even their fault. It's just like, they don't have enough to, 
you know, to do what they need to do. So I don't think it's getting better. Um, I think people need to think that way. And our team, I'm like, until it gets better, we're going to we're going to make sure that we act appropriately and and not have some pie in the sky um, excitement that things are changing. Like when I see it change, we'll, we'll maybe hit the gas a little bit more. But until yeah, then, well, hope isn't really a hope a doesn't work. I've, yeah. I mean, I've hoped before it doesn't work out all that well. <laughs> um, we we are going to make sure that every dollar that we spend, there's a return on it and there is no reason to lose money. Like if we're losing money, we're gonna make adjustments to not lose money because we feel that cash is so incredibly valuable. Well, I'm super excited to see what you do next year and to help you with some great hires. So thank you for coming onto the podcast. It was super fun. First meeting, second meeting of the day. Uh, yes. And I feel good. I feel fired up after this meeting with you. I'm, so, feeling, I'm, thank feeling, you. I'm feeling better already. I'm feeling better already. So thank <laughs> you again for coming on. Thank you, Carson. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.